Good morning, Third Street. How's everybody feeling this morning? Blessed. Okay. Well, if you've been with us, uh, then you know a few things that are going on. Number one, uh, you know why you need to pardon our dust. Uh, as uh, you probably leave here just a little bit uh, uh, dirtier on the exterior, but hopefully more cleanly on the interior. Um, because uh, we, got some, we got some construction going on. Um, but I love the fact that we get to work with uh, a wonderful company, uh, Ohio Floor, um, who's doing a great job for us, uh, that is also really, really careful to make sure that we still get to be in here on Sunday morning so that we can continue in our series in Philippians. Church, if you're with me this morning, say Philippians. Philippians. Yeah, so we've been in the book of Philippians for two weeks now. We're moving into week three. Don't worry, we finally made it to the end of chapter one. Um, and what we've discovered so far, what we've been talking about so far, is uh, we started off with this idea that in each and every one of our lives, God has begun a good work that he's going to see through. Some of us feel like we've had this moment with Jesus, but that maybe we feel forgotten after that, or we're not so sure because of our present circumstances that it is actually going to come through. But the Apostle Paul is clear to, to uh, assure us of God's promise that in whom he has begun a good work, God is faithful to see it through. And then last week, KT picked up from there and took us forward uh, into, into this phrase that I, that I wrote down because I, I wanted to like be careful to bring it back. He said, what was, meant to, what was meant to the Lord has actually, sorry, what was meant to prevent the gospel from going forward, what was meant to stop us, what was meant to slow the Lord's role, so to speak, has actually helped advance and enhance the gospel going forward. There's this crazy idea that the enemy can actually uh, overcome the force that God has when he decides on something. And that's not really true, but he's going to work really hard to slow it down. And as we look at the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter from prison, he says, what was meant to slow me down, what was meant to keep us in chains, has actually caused the advancement of the gospel. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that dope? I'm glad that two people appreciate that this morning, because I'm with those two people. And so we're going to pick that thought up as we look now more closely at our role in that conflict that is going on around us. So you can meet me in Philippians. If you haven't already turned there, we're going to drop down to verse 27. If you have your physical Bibles, I encourage you to use that. Otherwise, the scripture will be up here on the screen. This is Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read the end of chapter 1, and we're going to go just a little bit into chapter 2 in order to set my brother up better next week. And so here we go. The end of chapter 1, it says, uh, the Apostle Paul writes it this way. He says, just one thing. Yeah, just one thing. Okay. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm present, sorry, I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. 
This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. (laughs) For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. We flip the page into chapter 2. He says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in the Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing, Paul says, out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility Consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to their own interest, but rather to the interest of others. I've been feeling nostalgic this week. You know, it was a good way that Reb said it. He said, we're thankful that God is blessing us with a new gym floor. But if I'm being honest with you, that's not the way I felt about it this week. I'm just being real. I was like so sad to see this floor go. And most of you know by now it was out of necessity. We had a flood over Christmas and, you know, water and wood don't like, I don't know, it's weird. They just don't get along. And and so we we had to do it because this is this is the foundation. This is, you know, this is what Christ has used since the very beginning as a way of building his kingdom here at 1253 3rd Street Southeast. So it wasn't an option. We started, we had to do something about it. And as soon as we started, I just like felt super heavy about it. And every day of this week, I found myself coming in the gym, either during or after the people who were, who were tearing up the floor uh, got done. And I either stood in that doorway or sat right here. And I just stared at the floor. Um, it was dirt the majority of the week. And I sat here and I let the Lord bring back specific stories to my mind. The, gosh, what's it been? 12 plus years of stories of his faithfulness that I've watched unfold in this gym. And something that just hit me about this passage just now that I didn't even prepare, so forgive me because this might cost you your reservation, but it just hit me that that spells destruction for the enemy, right? Some people look at this and see destruction, but God says it spells salvation For you. See, a lot of us right now are feeling, we see this and we see destruction. But what God is actually doing is He's taking things down to the dirt, the dirt that's been exposed, the dirt that's coating everything that this room touches right now, that many people look at and see as filthy and they don't want to deal with it. But the reality is, we have to go through that because God is building something more beautiful than what stood here before. It's not as if God is going to stop being faithful. If God hadn't been faithful up to this point, I would say that this was destruction. But the reality is this is salvation. This is God building onto what he has already been faithful to do in this gym and will continue to do for more years than what we've already seen. 
as I prepared for the sermon, I couldn't help but attach the memories that God was bringing to my mind to the passage that we're reading. And maybe that's because I know that Paul here uses intentionally uh, uses athletic terminology in this, in this passage. Maybe it's because of that. Maybe it's just because I'm in my feelings. But either way, I hope you'll indulge me for just a bit this morning. Because it starts right from the jump, right from verse 27. Paul's like, all right, y'all, let's clear some stuff up. Let's go ahead and speak right to it. Paul is speaking specifically to a really diverse group of people. We talked about this in week one, how there's everything economically from those uh, who are in agriculture to those who are tradesmen to those who can afford uh, servants and are, high, and are formerly high-ranking officials in Roman military. There are Greeks whose family have been there for a really long time. There are uh, recent converts that have settled there. And then also this has been reestablished as a Roman colony. Specifically, a part of it was meant to be a retirement village for those who were in the Roman army and my goodness, who's more devout to Rome than those who have been in the Roman military? And so all of these people on a substantial trade route in a, in, a, in a really, really important part of Macedonia, all of these people are living alongside of each other. And as the gospel extends to this town and adversity rises, a whole lot of diverse gatherings start in various households. And so Paul's like, I'm going to go ahead and speak to this specifically, right? I know a lot of y'all are claiming a whole lot of different types of citizenship in these rooms. I know a lot of y'all see yourselves as mighty citizens of Rome. I know some of y'all are sitting in this room and you're like, man, bump Rome. I'm Greek. I'm this, right? I know some of you who grew up in the temple. I know some of you who grew up in the imperial cult. I know a lot of y'all are repping a whole lot of different stuff in here. But let me put it right from the jump here in verse 27, that first and foremost, you ought to consider yourself a citizen of heaven. Now, I know that the dangers of casual reading can cause us to glance right past that citizen of heaven. Sure enough, it means I've been saved. Thank you, Jesus. I'll be on my way. But we don't stop and let ourselves feel the weight of what he just said politically of what he just said socially, of what he just said economically. He's saying that above everything else that you feel like you are, above everything else that has been passed on to you, above everything else that cultural and popular society tells you that you are or that you have, above all of those things, you have singular loyalty to the gospel first. They're in a Roman colony. Roman cities expected their citizens to live in undying loyalty to Rome, to Caesar. Undivided to their laws, to their norms, to their ideals. When Rome came in to take over an area, it wasn't like, yeah, yeah, we're going to like uh, take care of like the logistics of this place, but y'all just go ahead and keep on living how you living. Uh-uh. There was a not-so-subtle, constant communication of their ideals and what people ought to ascribe to. I know that's super unrelatable to us, 
But Paul says, I need you before you even consider any of that to consider first your posture, your position with Christ. He says, instead of living in undivided loyalty to their laws, to their norms, to their ideals, I need you to live in loyalty to the norms and the values implicit with the gospel of Jesus first. Live, Paul says, as citizens of heaven citizens of a kingdom that is greater than the one that you see on your stamps. He says, that way I will have heard, whether I get to see it for myself or not, I will get to hear how y'all stood firm together. How y'all stood firm in one spirit. In one accord. Contending Together, Paul uses this word. I told you he uses intentionally athletic uh, messaging here because Philippi was big into sports. You can look back as far back as you can as you can trace the Olympic Games. You can see athletic. You can see Olympic winners from Philippi. They love their athletic heroes. Once again, I don't know what it's like to live in a city that like has enshrinements to athletic heroes, but that's what it was like in Philippi. And he uses this word, he uses this word in Greek, synathleho. Synathleho means striving together on one team. He's talking about y'all are all on the same team. If you, once you've come to faith in Christ, you're a citizen of heaven. And when you're a citizen of heaven, despite your background, despite where you've been, despite what you're going through, despite the t-shirts that you might rep, you're all on the same team. He's like, I want to see you move together, strive together. He's talking about not just the unity of the spirit that brings us all together as we serve one God, but he's talking about us actually working together as a single person. One synergistic unit, all together. I told you. I've been nostalgic. And as I sat right there, I watched games play out in my mind. And we used to keep track. We would run, uh, we would run pickup games. This is before the leagues. We used to keep track of winning streaks. Like what group of five could rip off the longest winning streak in a night? And we did that so often that we actually started keeping track of who had the longest winning streak like ever. And I remember, I can tell you exactly who has the longest winning streak in this gym. Five dudes that always played together. Like when we would come in here and dudes would rush to the table to sign up their names, to sign up their teams by fives, these five guys, it was never a doubt who they were playing with, they always played together. Other people would be like, hey man, let me pick you up. They're like, no, 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 I'm running with my five. I'm running with my five. These are the people who always ran together. Zelly, Mark, Ridley, Kurt, Kron. None of them ever were the best player on the floor, ever. They're gonna be so mad if they somehow listen to this. None of them individually were ever the best player on the floor. Am I lying? You know them. Am I lying? Zelly, Mark, Ridley, Kurt, 
Bark, none of them were ever the best player on the floor. But they never played with anybody else, only together. And you know what's wild? They beat everybody constantly because they played together and only together. They were such a synergistic unit that they were impossible to beat. And it really upset you because they didn't talk a ton, but they had these stupid smirks on their face that you're just like, you're not even that good. But they were together. Synergy makes us better. Sometimes I think we can become too influenced by the cultural norms and ideals of our land, of our heritage, of our politics, or even of our sports team. And it causes us to get distracted from the manner in which we ought to conduct ourselves according to the gospel of Jesus. I, I, I have to wonder which, citizen, which citizenship card that you hold on to trips you up the most. Which one are you tempted to that's supposed to be the card in your wallet that's behind the important card right in front, but you're tempted to just keep bringing that one out? Which one is the citizenship that you tend to, that tends to inform your behaviors more than the gospel that you say you represent? For some of us, it is our land. It's where we're from. We rep it so hard that we become the cultural norms and ideals of a land rather than of the kingdom we say we ascribe to in Christ. For some of us, it's what we do. We're, our citizenship is in our place of employment or in our specific degrees or our accomplishments. And we act more out of who our nine to five says that we are than out of who Christ says that we are. Some of us, genuinely, it is our favorite sports team. I, I mean, I don't know who we could be talking about, but some people, oh, man. I literally just told, just told Meek the other day, like, listen, man, I got to check myself because literally, like, I shouldn't be this upset when the Cowboys lose. I really shouldn't be. Like, I shouldn't be to the point of not willing to, like, accept phone calls or see people or talk to people about the game. But it's real. And sometimes we can rep these things so hard that we actually lose sight of the way that Christ instructs us to live. We have to be on the same page about not getting caught up in all the other citizenships that the world promotes, by the way, intentionally to keep us apart. But instead, we got to work hard to build chemistry with one another that both keeps us accountable and actually makes us stronger. I told you, Paul uses athletic language. He talks about Seneth Leho, and then to describe the opposition, he goes on with another word. When he says, don't fear 
the opponent, he uses this word, agon. Agon means competition. He's talking about an athletic-based struggle. Paul is acknowledging that there is a very, very real opponent. And that this opponent intends, see, sometimes I think that, I think we treat Christianity like an escape room where it's like if we can, if we can just pull the right tools and tricks and tips at the right time, we get to escape this life into eternity. But the reality is it's a lot more competitive than that. There is a force that is actively working against us. What Paul is describing here in Christian behavior is that it will go against the norms of the land in which you live. And if it doesn't, perhaps you've got your citizenship flipped. But it should go against these things in a lot of ways. Christian behavior to the Romans would have been odd at best. At best, it would be odd. At worst, it would draw persecution. Right? Isn't that what happened to Jesus? See, the Christians would have been at odds economically, civically, relationally. What would have been put on them by trying to live this way in the middle of Roman society is financial hardship, shunning, public embarrassment, no recognition of honor or accomplishments, or just straight up discrimination. Who wants to live like that? There was a force actively opposing the advancement of the Christian gospel in Philippi. Paul's acknowledging that. He's acknowledging that it's hard. He's acknowledging that they're throwing suffering your way. He's acknowledging that you're going to feel pushed down. But then he uses particularly strong language when he more literally says, that is no cause to be intimidated or terrified. Now that one's tough. That one's tough because what Paul is implying is that a unified stance by the church alleviates the fear of the opposition. But that's tough to live into when we're not all getting along, huh? See, when we become Christians, we invite opposition. Why? Because you're not a threat to the kingdom sitting in your driveway in a lawn chair eating Doritos watching the world pass you by. You're not a threat. When you don't acknowledge Christ's presence in your life, let alone the world, his existence and his work, you're not a threat to the enemy. So we're going to leave you alone. But as soon as you decide that you ascribe to and adhere to this gospel, you're a problem for him now. And so he's going to come at you in whatever way he thinks will take you out. You become a target. 
that the enemy wants to lock in and take out. And Satan, he's tricky. He will use the systems and the situations that have been set up in this world to take us out. We see it in scripture. We see it in our own lives. He will use everything from our past to the laws of this world to try and take us out. Can I tell you something that is going to invite opposition? The enemy hates what we do here. Y'all realize that? Amen. The enemy hates what we do here. The enemy hates that we meet on Sunday to praise a God that we believe will see us through. The enemy hates that we invite people in to our doors and dare to utter the name of Jesus. The enemy actually hates that we intend to meet physical needs in our community. And so the enemy is using to use the very things that plague our neighborhoods to try and scare us off. I wonder how often we've interpreted a lack of favor as, sorry, I wonder how often we've interpreted the enemy trying to fear us off as a lack of favor. We've moved on from somewhere because we don't believe that God has something for us there or that we don't believe that God has given us favor in a place, but the reality is it's the enemy trying to scare us off. I'll be honest about that. I told you I'm feeling nostalgic. It's happened to me in this very room. I'm glad Deshaun's in the kids' classes because I don't want to listen to his I told you so later when I tell this story. Listen, once upon a time when the night that we would meet here on Wednesdays was specifically high school night. There were these older dudes who kept coming in. And really, I don't even want to put it on all of them because really it was just one that would change the whole dynamic of this space and not for the better. I knew that his intention of being in this room wasn't to hoop, to eat, to hear the word, but it was to handle some neighborhood business. If you know, you know. If you don't, that's the best I can put it for you. When he will walk in, <laughs> here's a free lesson for you. If ever you walk into a space that's really loud, everybody's yelling, everybody's going at it, and then the one person who quietly says, that's enough, gets the whole room to stop without raising their voice, that's the dude you got to be afraid of. He would change the dynamic of this room, not to the positive, to the point, and I've told this story before because I'm not proud of it, but it was a lesson learned, to the point that I remember one week praying with our leaders beforehand that nobody above high school age would show up tonight. And can I tell you what happened? I don't know what was going on at the high school, but your older dude and the whole neighborhood of older cats came out that night. Everybody was here. And it totally derailed my message. And I remember the words of a professor one time telling me, when you, whenever you're in doubt and you don't know what to talk about, just talk about hope. And so that night I communicated to how the gospel of Jesus Christ lends itself to hope in our lives. And the whole time as this dude's staring at me, I'm thinking, this might, I'm going to preach this like it might be my last because it really might be my last. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it wasn't. 
That night we spoke on hope, and this individual stayed after to ask me, Sorry. This individual stayed after to ask me to pray for him. To pray that he would be able to receive Jesus. Because he doesn't see any form of hope. But he believes that I do. That individual went from being the biggest threat to our gym over the years to being the biggest protector of this space and the culture that it promoted. I want to ask you, what's the fear that the enemy wants you to buy into? What's the fear that the enemy wants you to buy into so much so that it'll prevent you from advancing the gospel? So much so that you might be so afraid that you actually disqualify yourself before you even utter a word. What's the fear that he wants you to live into? Then to bring us home, Paul turns from the external circumstances, the external opposition, to look more inwardly, to look more internally. He's saying, look, if we're going to be on the same page, this is what I love about Paul, is that he never leaves us without further instruction. I'm never going to tell you you're doing something wrong without telling you how to fix it. He said, I need you all to be on the same page so that because a unified front will take out the fear and the opposition. But I'm not going to leave you without giving you specific instruction. He says, I need you to lay some ground rules and some, and some suggestions for how this works. He says, you are to live and act as if you were a single person, integrated and unified in your purpose and direction. And then he gets real specific. He's like, so you know what I'm talking about. Selfish ambition and conceit. And conceit. He says, don't let those two things be attributes that are, that, that are attributed to you and your character. Don't be selfish. Don't live out of your own will, but out of God's. Don't be conceited. He's attacking those things specifically because that's what Romans look like. He says, this is, this is the Roman way. That's not Christ's way. He says, instead of being in here and being boastful, being about yours and getting yours, being full of yourself and what you are able to accomplish and what you're able to provide for your family, what you're able to give and what you're able to be and what you're able to wear. Rather than that, it says exercise humility. Now, it's not enough for me to say be humble. Let me go on and say consider others as more important than yourselves. This completely countercultural idea that somebody else's needs, that somebody else's else's ideas that somebody else's life might actually be more important than my own. It says, look not to our own interest, but to the interest of other people. You see how this is countercultural? I'm not talking about for Rome. I'm talking about for today. You see it? It's one last lesson, lesson that I'm going to share with you that I've learned in this gym. Everybody comes in here on some trash. Everybody. I don't care who you are. Everybody at some point comes in here on some trash. Everybody comes in here talking trash. It's easy to tell you what you're going to do to somebody 
before you even put your hoop shoes on. But that's what a lot of people do. A lot of people are real prideful. A lot of people are real confident in what their ability to accomplish on this floor. Am I lying, Pat? I'm not lying, am I? No, it's real. A lot of people come in here talking about, oh, you better, you better not see me. Who's trying to run once? Who's trying to? A lot. A lot. You know what I've learned? I'm scared of any of them, bro. Most people come in here talking trash. Most people stop and pose or want credit for the contribution that they make to the game. Most people are after that Instagrammable moment. That's why you see all the dudes in the bleachers like this. Most people are on that. But the one who comes in quietly, who puts their shoes on, doesn't need to talk trash, comes out here, gets their teammates involved to see if they can win it because that person is the person that knows what they're capable of and if it comes to it, they know what they can bring to the table to beat their opponent. That's the person you need to pay attention to. The person who comes in here doesn't need to say a word about their skill and ability because they know when they get out here and they feel it for themselves, they know that they know what to do. That's the person we need to pay attention to. A trap we can fall into in the church is we want to talk loudly about what we're doing. We want to be on, let me not be specific. We want to talk loudly about what we're doing. We want to start to look around for, for credit for the contributions that we make to a cause. We want that affirmation from other people. We're starting to look for the Instagrammable moment or the Instagrammable clip to support a public persona that we put out there of ourselves simply from our online platforms. But Paul says the way that the church builds synergy, the way that the church stays a threat to the enemy is humility. It's humble, quiet confidence, not in themselves, but in the Lord. looking to the interests of the group or the community because I know what the Lord has designed me to do and I know what I bring when it's time for my gifting to be brought. If you're sitting here this morning and you struggle with that confidence, I want you to know that the Lord has wired you in a way to play a crucial role. Not a single person under the sound of my voice, whether here this morning or on this some on some streaming platform, is disqualified from participation in the expansion of the kingdom of God. Not a single person has ever been disqualified. Not a single person is ill-equipped. Not a single person is not designed in a way to play a crucial role. Every single one of you has something immensely valuable to bring to the table. Now, if you struggle with humility, my brother or my sister, please know that your validation comes from the Lord, not from the people around you, not from me, not from the likes on your Instagram page. Your validation comes from the Lord. And the quicker you get to that place, the more 
powerful you will be in a moment such as this one. Church, I'm going to leave you with this. We are citizens of the kingdom. When we receive Christ into our lives, we are adopted as members of all the same family. And so can I say it plainly? We got to act like it. We got to act like we're family. And I'm not talking about the dysfunctional side that you don't want to see at Thanksgiving. I'm talking about the, the, the side that, that works together. I'm talking about we got to be on the same page. We can get pulled away from our focus by cultural differences that the world wants us to lean into. There are people who are moving back to homogenous spaces. There are people who are moving back to places where everybody looks like them because it's easier and they've lost hope in people actually getting on the same page. And also because it's not trendy anymore to be in diverse spaces, but that's for another week. There are people who need to see the hope of all of us being on the same page. And, and I got to be honest, I think part of what helps me lose my patience so quickly is that we don't have time for internal conflict. Because we have an opposition who is constantly rising up against us. We don't have time to bicker in here. Because out there is getting too real and lives are being lost on the daily for us to be in here upset about whatever. So for us to get through, our posture must be that of humility. Humility is what moves this thing forward. I'll leave it there because I know you're going to pick it up where I left off next week. But humility is what moves this thing forward. So this is my prayer for us this week. My prayer, fittingly so, is that we would be a church that releases humble hoopers into the world. Some of y'all are like, I ain't never, I know, I, I know you haven't. I see it, I know you haven't. I'm just playing, kind of. Um, I mean that metaphorically. We would be a place that releases humble hoopers into the world to be still and confident that God wants to move, that God will use you to move, and that God will not lie. He will do just what he has always promised he will do. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for the opportunity to learn from your word. Lord, I pray in this time that you would grant us a gentle reminder of who we are. A gentle reminder of who you've designed us to be. Of the work that you have called us to. And God, I pray that as we lean into the relationships of other believers that you have designed to walk near us, next to us. That we would stand firm and united 
against a very real opposition in this world. And God, I pray that as we strive together through the opposition, that our hearts would be encouraged at how the humility and the synergistic efforts of one community can bring evil walls down that have lasted for generations. God, we pray for forgiveness for the ways that we've been caught up in the norms and ideals that are not implicitly or explicitly spelled out in your gospel. And we thank you that your forgiveness allows us to continue forward, not into temptation, but into deliverance from opposition. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. All who believe say, bless up.